0: Get your quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust progressive progressive casualty insurance company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law. How is this little team from Columbus who, you know, barely beat Purdue going to take down the juggernaut that was Miami?
1: Trens keeps it, throws it to the end zone and it is picked off, picked off by Sean Taylor. He threw it right to him. Claretta it stole the ball. From yes, he did, Keith. Maurice Claret with the play of the game, perhaps, as Sean Taylor going down the sidelines. What's up? It's Thursday, May 28th, and you're listening to the College Football Daily. My name is Trey Scott. We've got a rewind episode today, throwback Thursday of sorts, with Ohio State Beat writer Patrick Murphy of Bucknets twenty four seven. Patrick, what's going on, man?
0: Oh, not much. Uh, I'm excited to to kind of relive this this game.
1: Yeah, I wanted to get you on, and, and and we both watched an abbreviated version of the 2003 Fiesta Bowl, Ohio State versus Miami, because we want to get ahead of the curve. ESPN's actually airing a, a rewatch tonight on its Throwback Thursday night. It's uh, going to be 7 p.m. At Eastern time. And I'm sure Twitter will be full of people talking about this game and, and how loaded it was, and all the first round draft picks and, and all of that. But, you know, I, I thought about doing it on Friday morning, but I kind of want to get ahead of the curve now. So, when we watched it and when people watch it tonight, what do you think they're going to spend the most time talking about?
0: I think the biggest thing I always take away anytime I watch this game again or see highlights is just—and you kind of touched on there—was was the n- talent on both both rosters. Um, you know, just the number of guys that ended up getting selected. You know, in the first round of the NFL draft or, or having NFL careers. I mean, you can go down the list for both teams these were, these were stacked rosters. And obviously Miami's coming off of winning a national championship the year before. So you already knew how good they were. A lot of these Ohio state guys were really establishing themselves as, as stars, um, you know, that season. And, and by the end of the season, they were becoming more household names, but it wasn't until further down the line that you really look back at this Ohio state team and they're like, wow, you know, this guy, and this guy, and this guy and, and, and the Miami team the same way. So that's always my biggest takeaway is, Oh yeah. You know, Nick Mangold, who went on to, to play for Ohio state the next few years and, and was an all American center and played, I think 10, 12 years with the jets comes in as a true freshman on short yardage plays in this game. I mean, that's how loaded these two teams were was that they had guys that were, were true freshmen that went on to, to play serious roles for, for their teams? So um, that's my biggest takeaway. Uh, another thing I always think about is, and this doesn't really get touched on a ton in the, the lead up, but, uh, just how big of a favorite Miami was. Like I said, they were the defending national champions coming in on a historic um, winning streak. And, you know, expected. I think they were 12-point favorites by the time kickoff happened. And, you know, very few people picked Ohio State to win this game. And, and obviously it became one of the great national championship games of the BCS era, and, you know, going to double overtime and the controversy and everything, which we'll touch on. But um, those are the two big things for me that I think will, will get the most talk when, when this game's back on.
1: Yeah. It's Ohio state's going to win 31, 24 spoiler. And you're right. Miami is at 11 and point favorite. And there were 18 eventual first round picks on the field. A lot of them were at Miami and it is pretty cool to just be watching a random play. And, and Krenzel gets Craig Krenzel gets sacked. He gets swallowed up and you're like the guy who just got him is really, big. Oh, it's Vince Vince Right. Or it's uh man. Andre Johnson was on this team. And I'm, I I totally forget that. Uh, totally forget just how good Chris Gamble was. Probably, I don't think, gets enough love 20 years later as just an absolute three-way superstar. It was a lot of fun to watch this game. And in, in doing the research before watching it, I didn't know, or I guess I had known it at one point when I was 12, but I, I forgot at that point, that both of these teams sort of had nail biters, no or seasons defined by nail biters. I remember Ohio State, Michael Jenkins, the catch against Purdue, had several other close calls too. I know Gamble had a big pick six, I believe, against Penn State that season. Miami was on that 34 game winning streak, but was not as dominant as it was the year before on that 01 team, which might be the best ever. And Miami had some close calls too against Pitt. But Patrick, take us back to when you were a kid growing up, a Buckeye fan, and, and watching this season and this team and the build-up to that. I mean, you've got Jim Trestle coming in. you've got a freshman running back named Maurice Claret, you've got this great defense, but this anemic offense. And I'm wondering, take us from the journey, uh, the journey uh, from Texas Tech in week one to Miami at the end, just sort of what that was like. It's actually funny as I look
0: back at the schedule, because there are some games that I, you know, I think about it being a season of close calls, and, and you mentioned a, a ton of them there, but even when I look back at, at some of the games, like especially early in the season, Ohio State beats Texas Tech 45-21, 51-17 over Kent State, that one you expect, but then beats number 10 Washington 25-7. So there were some games where Ohio State looked fairly dominant, and and that, you know kind of doesn't occur to me cuz i think of all these close games but um it was it was a crazy crazy season for ohio state you're coming off jim tressel's first year which which was an okay year but but nothing nothing exceptional you know no one expected ohio state to be in this position at the end of the year and then you have close games against cincinnati northwestern was closer than it probably should have been um you know people talk about the the overtime game at uh, illinois Um, you mentioned the, the Purdue, uh, catch only one touchdown that game, the Holy Buckeye play as it's uh, referred to around here. And, and then even against Michigan, having to have the interception in the end zone, you know, so many nail biters. I just remember sitting on the couch, watching these games and just, you know, you don't know what's going to happen. You can't go get a drink towards the end of the game because you're, you know, or get some food just because, because you never know what's going to happen. This team just found ways to win games Jim Tressel got that, uh, you know, kind of a moniker of being a, a, a game managing type of coach, Craig Krenzel, the same way at quarterback, he could make some plays when needed, but he really just handled things well. So it was, like I said, a, a nail biting year. And then to go into the national championship game against this dominant force that was Miami. And yes, they weren't nearly as dominant as the year before, but there was a reason that they'd won 34 games in a row coming into this. And, you know, even even as a uh, someone who who was pulling for the Buckeyes at the time, it's hard to hear how how good Miami's been. All these statistics that got thrown at you in the build up to that game, and not think, you know, how is this little team from Columbus, who you know barely beat Purdue, going to take down the juggernaut that was Miami? And and I think that's what makes this game stand out so much, is because not only was there this big upset, but it was a really entertaining game, and and both teams kind of played to their strengths. Defense for Ohio State. Um, the running game, uh, you know, Miami using using a number of its weapons. So, you know, it's it, it's just a fun game to watch. Even if you didn't live it at the time, you didn't go through that whole season supporting one team or the other. Um, you know, this this game is, is a lot of fun in my book.
1: It really was a fun rewatch. I hadn't rewatched it since I watched it that night. Of course, I remember the call and we'll get to it. And I remember the controversy surrounding it. I hadn't dug into it as much as I did in the last few hours, but like, I didn't know that this was Ohio state's first natty since 1968. And so it makes sense when you talk about how is this team from Columbus going to do this? Cause that that's outrageous now. Right. But, but back then Miami was the dynasty. And for those of us growing up at a certain time, that was the team that was the big bad. And it is sort of weird to think about how quickly Patrick that dynasty dynasty devolved, uh, dissolved on that field that night. And gave way to USC, which has this has this new dynasty, and and, and their dynasty ends in, in a in a national title game in which they're supposed to to be the overwhelming favorite too. A few years later against Texas and sort of how all these dynasties that we probably probably won't see uh, many of these going forward, but they kind of all were felled by these uh, David type teams. But yeah, Ohio State's first Natty since 1968, and again the game was really smooth. I. I the offense was a little bit uh, left you wanting some at, at certain times, but talented players everywhere. And I don't know about you, but Sean Taylor was probably my um, my most valuable player for the game. He was so good. He had two interceptions. He was laying the lumber. Of course, one of those interceptions. We know it happens when Maurice Clarette comes from behind, behind and, and strips the ball, and maybe saves the game for Ohio State. But Sean Taylor was something else, absolutely. And knowing now the
0: career that he went on to have, obviously you 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 understand what kind of player he is. But uh, yeah, he he was was huge for Miami in that game. Not only the the two interceptions, but made a ton of big tackles. Um, you know, was was not afraid to get up near the line of scrimmage to make plays um, you know that that defense in general was just loaded. Both defenses were, but yeah, Sean Taylor, I think if Miami finds a way to win it in overtime there, he's, he's probably your, your MVP. Um, you know, you, you mentioned the play by, by uh, Maurice Claret and, and a ha- very heads up play from a freshman, but you know, maybe that's the only mistake Sean Taylor makes in that game is, is holding the ball on his field side hand, but the guy's a safety. He's not trained day in and day out, how to carry a ball. You can't, you know, take much away from him for that. Obviously from the Miami perspective, you'd love to see him hold on to that. And and you could even argue, maybe he did cause it, it was very close, but yeah, he was, he was, he was nuts in that game. And, and I don't know if there's a better way to put it. Um, one, one of the top defensive players in college football still in my mind.
1: Yeah. I think people are going to be really talking about Sean Taylor tonight when they get a chance to rewatch this game. A few other notes I had before we sort of get into the, the call Ken Dorsey was pretty bad. And I think people are going to talk about that tonight because when you think of Ken Dorsey, now you think of steady game manager, the guy who was just the captain of this super talented ship and two interceptions, a fumble pretty bad. And I went back and looked Pat, and this was his worst season uh, of his career was his, his (laughs) was this season. And that's pretty crazy to see, to think about, as a senior, but he had 12 interceptions all year, under 60% of his passes. And I was surprised watching this game saying, okay, I thought Ken Dorsey was a little bit better than this. But maybe that's a credit to the to the Ohio State defense, which probably doesn't get enough credit here as a, as a historical juggernaut.
0: I think in watching it, especially in the first half, and you mentioned MVPs, that defensive line from Ohio state was, was probably the MVP, maybe Andy groom with the the punts that he was able to do, but they put Dorsey under a lot of pressure. And, you know, I, I don't know if he'd seen as much pressure as he did early um, in that game, two sacks, I think on the opening two or three drives um, he'd been sacked eight times all season. So that offensive line had done a great job protecting Dorsey and, you know, the, the Ohio state defensive line just, just was all over the place. And, you know, the, the first interception, um, comes from pressure. Even I think the second one did as well. Now he does make some good plays that first touchdown to, uh, to perish. Yep. He sidesteps a blitz very nicely. You know, you see what he could do there. Um, and he was a guy that I don't think he was ever, you know, projected to be a big time NFL player or anything like that, but, um, you know, certainly deserved credit for that, that, first national championship and what they were able to accomplish with the winning streak and whatnot. But yes, you're right. He was not at his best in that game. I think Ohio State's defense certainly had something to do with it, especially the pressure they were able to get because he's just under siege. And I really do think Miami figured it out some in the second half and he was able to make some throws. Like Helen Winslow started to come alive in that second half over the middle. But um, yeah, I mean, if, if he's able to get it going early and get into a rhythm, Ohio State's probably in trouble. And they were able to to keep him off his spots, make him make some mistimed throws or, or take some sacks. And I think that really helped Ohio State stay in the game, especially since their offense wasn't doing much early either.
1: If you dropped both of these quarterbacks, Craig Krenzel and Ken Dorsey into 2020, who makes for the better NFL prospect? <laughs> I don't know.
0: Uh... Because Craig Krenzel, I mean, you talk about a game manager. That guy was it, and he does make. Did he complete so, seven passes? Uh, <laughs> that's a good question. I,
1: I I'm I'm looking.
0: He, he completed exactly seven passes, seven yeah. of twenty-one. Now there were some big throws. I mean, he makes a couple on third down, um, and he also has some runs that were uh, that were very important to keep keeping drives alive. But you know, for today's eighty-one rushing yards um, for Krenzel, but today's offenses you know, I don't, I don't, he's not playing at Ohio state and under Ryan day or urban Meyer. I know that for sure. Um, at least not as a quarterback, but, um, yeah, I mean, you know, that's what he was. That's what he was all season and Ohio state, you know, at that point in time had really struggled to find a quarterback. It wasn't until a few years later when they just, they get Justin's wick to commit. And then that ends up turning into Troy Smith that, that right. you really start to see some quarterback play at Ohio state, but you know, it is crazy to think that you have a, a national champion with a quarterback who completes 33% of his passes for 122 yards. But the rushing was, was important, and it, it did help Ohio State's offense move the ball and, you know, got into the end zone twice.
1: Yeah, I, I think that era of having that type of quarterback when yeah. you the title game is over. Jake Coker is our last example, I think, of, of a, a game manager type. The College Football Daily will be right back. You want to talk Claret? Because this is a complicated guy, and as far as his legacy is concerned, I I mean, maybe the play of his career is, again, the Sean Taylor play. It could be the, the touchdown that gives them a lead at one point. How do Ohio State fans remember the one season of Maurice Claret? Um, i believe
0: most fans would tell you it was it was one of the more incredible running back seasons because he is a true freshman um, obviously highly recruited and whatnot um what he was able to do that year um you know not not only you know rushing for you know what was it 1200 some yards um but you know he didn't get all the snaps he you know had had to work in with some other running backs so you know, I think that just shows you, averaging 5.6 yards a carry, what kind of talent he was, um, and you see it in that game as, as I mentioned. As Ohio State's offense starts to get going in the second half, you can see him start to start to motor a little bit. Um, and you know, Ohio State fans are always going to remember this year as as a special year because of how it ended. But I think even with um, you know, if it hadn't ended in a championship, Maurice Corette would have would have been thought of as a special player. Now, that obviously, with what happens going forward and and him not playing much beyond this, um, at any level. And, you know, even before this game, there was some controversy because he wanted to go home because he had a friend who had passed away. And, you know, there was controversy about whether Ohio state would let him go back. And he was upset with the university and the program. And so there was a a lot of drama that went on with Maurice Corette. but I think as you look back, from an Ohio state perspective, you just remember what he was able to accomplish on the field. And, and that was greatness. Um, Now I do think there's some, what ifs to Buckeye fans when you talk about Maurice Claret, you know, what if he'd kept his head on straight and then, you know, stayed on the field, not gotten in trouble, been able to play the next two years. What does Ohio state accomplish? Um, You know, this could have been, you talked about USC becoming a dynasty. If you have a running back like that in the backfield, the next season, you, you may have a, another team, another team, you know, contending for a second straight national championship, just like Miami. So, um, you know, losing him certainly hurt Ohio state. And I think that that's going to be part of his legacy too the, the what if factor there.
1: Yeah. I thought one of the treats of this rewatch was, uh, Claret versus McGahey before, before uh, Willis gets hurt in the fourth quarter on that just horrific leg injury. Yeah. Uh, it would just gets knocked the wrong way. McGahey was awesome. And you could tell Miami really missed him. Derek Payton was a, f- a fine replacement, but they, they definitely missed him after. And then I thought as far as you know, man versus man, you have Krenzel versus Dorsey, McGahee versus Claret, and then actually going against each other was Chris Gamble versus Andre Johnson. Chris Gamble was, uh, we talked about it a second ago, Just he was playing both ways. He also played special teams. He He did a fantastic job at cornerback. Matched up against Andre Johnson, who's one of the best receivers now in NFL history. Andre Johnson was held to 54 yards, which is his, I believe, third lowest output for that entire, that entire season. And tell me a little bit about Gamble because was he originally a receiver who started playing corner? And I, or was he a corner who started playing receiver? The way, the way I was reading it and the way they were talking about it on, on TV, the broadcast, Keith Jackson and Dan Fouts. I think he was a receiver who started playing a little bit of cornerback, which surprised me given that he was eventually an NFL draft pick at corner
0: yeah, you're correct he was he was a receiver um, and, and a return guy initially. Um, the cornerback stuff came came later on. i think you know he just he just showed versatility he was he was just a skilled player, obviously a great athlete to be able to do that at that level and beyond um, and you know once they recognized you know, he's able to play both ways. I think they mentioned on the broadcast that the prior two games he played over a hundred snaps. You know, it was, it was okay. How can can we use him? And and as his career progresses, and I think you notice it more in this game, um, he's, he's used more on the defensive side of things just because he, he had a knack for, for being so good as a, as a cover guy. And, you know, a guy like Andre Johnson, obviously you want your best guy on there. Um, You know, Ohio State fans loved that about him—the the the fact that you know it was kind of that old school, you know, play both ways, almost like a high school kid that's just uber talented and you you put him in where you need to type of guy. Um, You know, the the number seven shirt is a is is a big big deal um, at Ohio State throughout the history. A a lot of famous Buckeyes have worn that, so the fact that he's wearing number seven, I think, helps. Um, But yeah, he was he was a superstar for sure. for what he was able to do, not just that year, but, but in prior years. And then obviously what, you know, going on in the NFL, he led the NFL in interceptions in 2004. I don't think his NFL career gets talked about as much. I mean, he wasn't a, a superstar, but he was still a very good player for the Panthers for, for you know, seven, eight years, I think. So um, he he's a, he's a Buckeye favorite for sure. And I think, you know, if you were to list the, the top guys from this game who kind of stand out in your head or from this season you know, Claret's certainly up there. Um, C. Grant, there's going to be a number of guys, but uh, Gamble's uh, going to be near the top for sure.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is a guy. Again, he covers Andre Johnson in the national <laughs> title game, and also plays receiver. He was on the field for every big moment. He was involved in the call. Yep. He uh, a few plays before, earlier in the or later in the fourth quarter, um, had that catch, Patrick, that wasn't called a catch that if he catches that ball converts a first down Miami's forced to burn its last time out, the, the refs called it in not incomplete, not, not in, not in bounds, but on that, on that play, which kind of sets up for the call, his Jersey was grabbed, right. You know, Miami kind of gets away with one here. Chris Campbell's on the field for that. And I, I just think that's remarkable. If you dropped him again, you we talk about dropping guys into 2020, drop them. And now, I mean, Twitter and the internet get excited about the possibility of Derek Stingley at LSU playing some snap set receiver. And Chris Gamble's out here literally playing both positions and returning kicks and doing them both at an A-level. And I just think that's incredible. But again, he's on the field for for the biggest plays of the game, the call. We sort of set it up earlier where where you had the – the play that he doesn't, the, the catch that should have been Miami, you know, keeps the game alive, takes the game into overtime with a field goal. You get to overtime, Miami scores. Ohio State has to match that touchdown, and we get to a fourth and three, and it's Krenzel to gamble, and just what happens next is is I, I don't know how to describe this call. Oh, that's a tough call there. with about this angle? Bad call. Bad the, call. The left hand. I don't know if the left arm was there too soon or not. I think the ball got there before Glenn Sharp did. I've watched like a lot of Zapruder tape of it in the last few hours, and I'm not sure what I think about it. It was called pass interference. I think it was a late flag, which... Really infuriated Miami fans. There's nothing worse than a late flag when your team is celebrating the national title game. But, but they call Glenn Sharp of Miami for a DPI. Dan Fouts is like sort of unprofessional as far as just screaming bad call. And I want to know what you think about it. Um, what you thought about it in the moment, what Ohio State, Ohio State fans think about it now because it kept the game alive. Ohio State eventually scores and then wins since double OT. And what you think about when you're watching it.
0: Well, in the moment, it was absolutely the right call, and I think that's what most Ohio State fans will, will tell you, um, because it's coming from from a place of bias. I think if you talk to Miami fans, it's absolutely not a call, and, and probably Michigan fans as well. I know one in particular who I've had this argument with, um, <laughs> but uh, I think you know, looking back on it, trying to see it from a neutral perspective. You know, I think you can you can argue a lot of different things on that. You know, it's it's certainly a weak pass interference call. Um, the referee does signal holding as well, but that was not the call made on the field. There's also, and this doesn't get talked about hardly at all, um, there's a late face mask uh, on, on Gamble as he's kind of reaching back for the ball. And I don't know if that makes an impact or not on whether he can catch it, but I've seen that called. Um, and so, you know, th- there's certainly a call to be made there if you want to. Now, from the other side, I, you know, trying to see it from a Miami perspective, there's a lot that, that gets let go in those type of plays, you know, especially in, in that situation, um, you know, guys are battling. And I think that, you know, from the Miami perspective, you can certainly say it wasn't pass interference and those other calls weren't called. So the game should have ended there. Um, you know, I, I, I think too, that Miami had chances to win that game or at least tie it with the second overtime. Um, you know dorsey missed a few passes there as they got in close that that could have you know pulled the game level and and forced it into a third overtime but um you know i i it's hard for me to to say it wasn't the right call given that i think there were a few things that could have been called um you know and i think obviously my my background and whatnot kind of clouds the clouds my opinion um But uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's what makes this game, you know, another aspect of what makes this game great because there is that controversy. You know, if the game just ends, you know, in, in overtime, even, I don't know if it's quite as great of a game because there's not this, you know, several minutes here where we're talking about this and alluding to this, you know, it was one of the the biggest calls, biggest plays in the BCS era. And, you know, like there's still YouTube videos. And like I said, I have a, I know a Michigan fan who I still argue with about this to this day. So uh, it's what makes the game fun. Um, Not so much for, for people who are supporting the U on that night, but um, you know, I think in the grand scheme of things, they got their national championship the year before Ohio state got one. And you know, history is, is what it is.
1: Yeah. And it does go both ways. Miami fans will say they played, they let them play a physical, physical game all night. And that's fine, but Miami did get away with a player. Again, that we talked about it. If Chris Gamble, if that catch is actually called a catch late in the fourth quarter, the game's just over. Ohio State just runs out the clock. So in real time, when I was watching it, I was like, okay, here comes the call. Here comes the call. And I said, yeah, absolutely pass interference or holding or something in real time. And when you watch the frame-by-frame breakdown, the the arm contact looks a little bit less. And you can see that the ball might've gotten a gamble before Glenn Sharp did. But this is, again, that's what happens when you break things down in replay. And I think Ohio state fans, I mean, you know, it as well as anyone this happens in the last fiesta bowl, they were in with the Justin Ross catch too. You slow things down and things look a little bit different. And there's of course no replay in the 2003 fiesta bowl. So yeah, it's, it's, it's of course one of the more controversial calls in college football history. And I'll send you out with this. What, what sort of defending do Ohio State fans have to do in regards to this call? You mentioned you have probably a Michigan troll on Twitter. But, and it's not like Ohio State doesn't have this absolutely rich football history and, and it doesn't have to just totally rest on the 2003 Fiesta Bowl. But do you find a lot of detractors trying to take this game away from them just because of that call, Patrick?
0: Oh, for sure. I think you know we'll, we'll see it tonight on Twitter. Um, when 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 it gets close to that play, and you know, especially after the play happens, I imagine there will be a lot of back and forth, um, you know, on on social media. Um, I, I I can already imagine our message boards talking about you know past arguments with with people and whatnot uh, about that play. You know, I think you if you ask a neutral about you know, what, what stands out in your mind about this game? Um, I think a lot of people point to that, so it'll certainly be polarizing tonight. I'm interested to see what people, you know, think and say, um, kind of bring that back up because, you know, that discussion comes up anytime. I think this game is, is on, on TV, um, or, you know, highlights or somewhere or the play gets shown or whatnot. So, um, yes, it will certainly be discussed. There will certainly be arguments and, and angry people, um, that think that it should have been called, shouldn't have been called, whatever it is. We, we can argue all you want. The call was made. The yeah. game happened. It, it, you know, Ohio State ended up taking home the national championship. And like you said, there are plenty of other play calls, including the the Justin Ross um, fumble in in the the game um, just this past year that Ohio State fans still haven't let go. And and it happens for every team at, at some point or another. So, you know, you, you win some, you lose some. And uh, I think in that night, Ohio State was was the winner.
1: I love it. It's a highly recommended rewatch. I'm excited to rewatch it again in this van in 24 hours tonight to watch everyone else watch it. Patrick Murphy, thanks for joining us. Everyone should go watch the Fiesta Bowl, 2003 Fiesta Bowl tonight on ESPN, you will see Ohio State beat Miami 31 to 24, but there are so many cool storylines in there. It is worth watching, even if you already know the result. That's going to do it for today's episode of the College Football Daily for Patrick Murphy. For our producer, Tony Levitt, I'm Trey Scott. We'll see you Friday.